This episode of Rick and Rick Rule the World is brought to you by Taskin, the first name in ultra-stylish, premium-quality travel gear, like the exquisitely designed Taskin One expandable backpack. With nine practical variations, the Taskin One is always the right size for wherever life takes you next. Save 30% on your next purchase when you use the promo code RNRTAKE30. That's RNRTAKE30 at TaskinSF.com. Next up on an all new Rick and Rick. BK and Fila team up to launch a flame broiled sneaker. Everybody's favorite toaster pastry scores a touchdown, complete with an edible mascot. Is Banksy about to be unmasked? And what if he's more than one person? Hmm. <laughs> Plus, how AI reduces the world to stereotypes, loaded questions, and a whole lot more. And it all starts right here, right now. On the one show where everybody comes to Rick off the new year, right? And everybody rules the world. Well, it's out with the old and in with the new as we welcome you to our first new episode of 2024. I'm Rick Matheson, and I am joined, as always, by my good friend, Rick Wooten. Happy New Year, Rick. Happy New Year, my friend. I mean, I can't, I can't believe it's another year already. It seems like it was just like a week ago we were talking about the upcoming holidays, and they've already passed. I know, just like lightning fast. I trust you had a good holiday season. You had the kids in town and all that. Yeah, ish. I, I think you know, but I end up getting covid oh right so this is the second time it's come around during christmas sadly enough i was at a funeral and somebody brought covid and got, got most of the people at the funeral sick unfortunately oh. yeah so that that could put a little bit of hamper on christmas fortunately on christmas day it was the first day that i tested negative so i was able to go out and hang out with some people and, and spend some time i must have made santa mad and this year instead of giving out coal he gave out covid and, and i was the recipient <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you did have a Christmas morning recovery, so that's a nice little gift. Fair enough. I'm good now. I'm back to normal. Good. Well, we are glad to have you. How, how about you? How was your Christmas? It was good. Yeah, you know, it was one of those Christmases where, I don't know if you're like this, but there are certain things I could get at any time, but it just seems frivolous. So I got some gifts like that, which was nice. It was one of those things where I wasn't totally expecting them, and when I got them, they were like spot on, things that I want, but would not spend on myself. So that was good. One thing that cracked me up, my wife got a car. And so she ended up giving it a hybrid. And it was funny because the second week she was at work and she texted me and she goes, you know, the gas needle hasn't moved at all. <laughs> and it says I have a remaining 521 mile range. And I was like, awesome. So I was jealous. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's cool. That's that's great that it's doing so well for her. Which one did she get? Did she get the, the Toyota? Yeah. And one of the things I was like, oh, wait a second. I'm going to need that. I may have to get it aftermarket. It is the Apple CarPlay. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I hear it's pretty seamlessly integrated as well. Yeah. It's literally mirroring your yeah. iPhone just in a horizontal format. You know, one, one of the things that, you know, I've got the, the Tesla that we've talked about, and then I've got a, an older Jeep. And the one thing that always drives me crazy with the Jeep is, is the integration into technology. It's just so outdated it makes me want to go get a new version just so that i can use my navigation my my maps on my phone or <laughs> like i i'm those features are such a game changer right when you're taking a ro long road trip that i get uh enticed to to go trade in the old jeep for a newer one but yeah i don't know i still have a lot of sentimental value in my jeep so it stays yeah it would be hard to get i mean you would never be able to get that again i mean i doubt they're doing many of the call of duty jeeps every year are they no no they haven't done one since i bought that one in 2012 but they have had many other very cool limited series that they've done so 
I mean, it's not like there isn't really cool ones to get. It's just that, you know, I've got all the memories of, you know, taking my son and road tripping out to Oklahoma City sure. to go buy it and driving it back oh, over yeah. a weekend. And I mean, just there's so much sentimental value. In yeah. It. Same with us. I mean, we kept our other Lexus and my daughter is driving it. And it's so weird because it was the car that I brought her home from the hospital in. I mean, the Lexus lasts forever and it's still running great. Sentimental value. That's just like crazy. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a little bit of a funny story about that. So I've had many Toyotas throughout my life. I am a big fan of Toyotas. They're super reliable. They last forever, like you said. And by the way, neither one of us is getting paid by Toyota. But my kids recently both decided to buy a dirt bike. And they were like, you know, trying to figure out which dirt bike to get. And I said, well, you know, you should take a look at the Honda. It's pretty reliable. And the question they asked me was, well, is it the Toyota of the motorcycles? <laughs> right. Boy, Honda does not want to hear that. Exactly. I'm picturing Honda executives all rolling over in their sleep saying, what? What? I'm having a nightmare. Do they measure up to Toyota? That's right. As always, we're going to kick off with Rick and Rick Radar Love. I've been wanting to ask, did you ever end up going to see Aquaman 2? No, I didn't. I didn't. Neither did I. Yeah. I saw the reviews. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I texted you the preview night and I was like, do I care enough about this to go see it tonight? And then within five minutes, I think I texted back and I go, no, no, not tonight. And then I, I haven't yet. And then, yes, I saw the reviews as well. So somehow not surprised. Yeah. You know, I I have to say, I think we reached peak superhero and I think it's totally true. And unfortunately, I think even Star Wars kind of got caught up in that. I think we reached peak Star Wars at the same time. So everything's kind of been a letdown for the last year. I haven't been really stoked with much of what I've been seeing. No, I didn't like any of the movies that I was most excited about seeing. And there's Aquaman, I guess, I think I read it's doing like 12% of the business wow. of the original one. Wow. Yeah. So, and apparently that's enough to beat the Marvels, but I don't know if that's saying much. Did you ever end up seeing that one? I never saw that one either. No, didn't see that one either. I mean, I mean that tells you something right there, right? Here are two of the bigger superhero buffs. Yeah, and superhero yeah we haven't seen yeah. any of this. I freaking grew up with Aquaman in the DC characters. If you can't get me to go see your movie something's wrong yeah especially if it's dc an auspicious end to this leg of the dcu and i don't think we get another dc movie well no we get that sequel to joker but i think the rebooted whatever they're calling the dc universe now is the superman movie and i think that that's in 2025 i think did you ever end up seeing oppenheimer no no i have not it's driving me nuts okay you got to see that that was surprisingly good nolan at his best i I think it's going to get a nomination best picture nominee i don't know if that it'll win but I think it'll be nominated. It's quite good. I think that was your most anticipated movie. <laughs> you just haven't seen it. it. It really is. And, you know, it, it's one of those things where I went to go see it in a theater, but for one reason or another, I wasn't able to make it. Actually, I think I own the digital version of it and I keep meaning to watch it, but then life happens. Yeah. It used to be drop of the hat at the movies. And lately it has been, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. Oh, maybe then, maybe then I'll schedule, I'll schedule. <laughs> and then still can't quite make it. So totally get it. And then the other movie, and it's a Netflix original called Leave the World Behind. And it is very good. It's kind of an apocalyptic thriller. It's got Ethan Hawke, Julia Roberts, Kevin Bacon, Meher Shah Ali, and Mahala Harold. And it's about a family vacation. This family kind of, in, I think it's New York. I think they go out to Long Island or something at a rented house. And they're interrupted when the owners come home early because of the apocalypse. It's been unleashed by a cyber attack that, among other things, sends self-driving Teslas crashing into roadways to block off escape routes. 
So it's really an interesting, interesting movie. And it's produced by Barack and Michelle Obama. Oh, interesting. And what's it called again? It's called Leave the World Behind. And I was surprised. It's quite good. I've been hooked on Doom Patrol for a little bit. And there were three seasons to it. I'm in the last season, finally. I think you might have mentioned it to to me. I yeah. know that uh, longtime listener Jerry mentioned it to me a couple of times. And so I finally got around to starting that. And that's really what's been obsessing me lately is just trying to work my way through three seasons of it. And I'm getting close to the end now. So I'll be moving on to other things. But one thing I did end up watching a little bit of the other day, I watched maybe the first 30 or 40 minutes is uh, Rebel Moon. Have you seen this yet? No, I haven't yet. I know it's Zack Snyder, so I don't know if it's good or bad, but uh, I do want to check it out. Well, you see, it's kind of interesting because there's a ton of controversy around this and people are really panning it. And in fact, people are kind of trash talking Zack Snyder. And I don't know what's happened, but he's become somebody that fans of the shows are now just saying, you know, if he's involved, it's not going to go well. That's too bad. So anyways, I, I'm 30, 40 minutes into it and I don't see it. I don't get what everybody's upset about yet. I, I mean, I do have to tell you, it was kind of a trip because when I heard about it, the first thing I did was jump over to Disney and tried to find it and it wasn't there. And I'm like, wait, this is a Star Wars thing. Where is it? And it's on Netflix, which is kind of interesting that they licensed this to Netflix. Oh, now, wait a second. When I saw pictures of it, I thought it was ripping off Star Wars. You're saying it actually is in that Star Wars universe? Oh, is it ripping off Star Wars? I thought it was Star Wars. It felt it feels canon. Oh yeah, it looks like a total ripoff, but maybe it is in universe and official. I don't know. Did the beginning say Disney or Lucasfilm? Yeah, I'm looking at an article from Uprox and it's saying, granted, the Rebel Moon is not an official Star Wars movie, but it did start out as one. Zack Snyder has not been shy about revealing that the project started out as a pitch to Lucasfilms uh, shortly before George Lucas sold the company to Disney. So that would make sense. You know, that's why it feels like it is because he wrote it to be and then clearly it didn't happen so he's gone off to netflix to make it and honestly i thought it was part of canon it feels like it interesting well i definitely need to see it now but yeah i saw pictures of people with their lightsabers <laughs> i thought that's a lightsaber that's like the one weapon where instantly you're gonna be like oh you're just aping yeah. star wars up next to my queue and, and i've really been looking forward to this for a while is reacher season two have you, have you seen the first season yet no i haven't and i've heard it's great and that's definitely in my queue as well i am an audiobook fiend. And I went through 15 or 16 of the Jack Reacher books and really enjoyed them. And so once I got through that, they released the first movie and they, they announced that it was Tom Cruise. And I, I, yeah. tell you, I was really disappointed because if you, you read the books, and you especially if you're invested into it at the level I was, where I've been like 15, 16 books, you know, you have a picture Reacher in your head and he's not under six feet. Right, right. <laughs> so, right. so, you know, you, he should be like 6'3", six, 6'5". Six, I mean, he should be a big dude and, you know, all that. Now, I have to tell you, I watched the movie, of course. Tom Cruise actually did a pretty good job, yeah. the best he could. And it didn't come across like he was a tiny dude. So, I mean, even, you know, they did a lot of play with the film and, and made it work. Yeah. But once I watched the first season on Prime of the, the series, the guy they pick is it. He's the right guy. He's got the right personality, the attitude, the, the smarts, the whole thing. So yeah. I was pretty stoked when I heard that. So uh, I've been looking forward to season two for a while. Obviously, it had been delayed like everything else to getting out. And so it just released in December. Yeah. And so that's up next to my queue. So Alan Richson is the guy on Reacher and he's great. A lot of people may not realize this, but he played Aquaman on Smallville for years. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. And he played on Titans on Max for a couple of seasons. And he was my favorite character on that. They killed him off in that. And I was like, why are they killing off the best character? And then I saw he'd been signed for Reacher on Amazon. So I was like, ah, that's why. Smart move for him. So cool. Now, what may or may not be a smart move is 
this effort to unmask the subversive graffiti artist known worldwide as Banksy through a lawsuit. It's this article from The Conversation, and it says, well, some believe Banksy is really an English artist by the name of Robin Gunningham. Others believe there is no Banksy, or that if there was, once upon a time, there isn't anymore. Banksy is now an expansive collective of artists. Yeah, this is a really interesting one. So the brand Guess has a store where they used one of Banksy's images without permission. And so on X or whatever, Twitter, whatever it was at the time, Banksy said, hey, all the shoplifters, you know, go to the Guest store, basically just saying it wasn't cool that they did that. Well, Guest decided to sue him or the collective or whatever it is. In a way, what it's forcing is for him to be identified, him or her or them to be identified. And so that's what this whole thing is about is, you know, because Banksy, assuming it's a he, is in this lawsuit, they're trying to figure out who it is. But to your point, I think what the general consensus is at this point is it isn't a person anymore. Maybe it was at one time and more than likely it was at one time. Somebody got it started, but it's become bigger than the person who started it. And it's now a collective of people. It's maybe an organization. It doesn't keep them from being sued, but it does change things. And I'll tell you, there's a a lot of police forces that would love to figure out who it is so that they could arrest them because there's been vandalism and all kinds of stuff in the name of Banksy in the past. So anyway, it's gonna it's it's been a super interesting one, you know, just seeing the efforts and the the amount of legwork that people are trying to put into identifying who it is. Yeah, I'm curious to see how that will unfold. I don't know how you subpoena someone that you don't know. You're guessing. There is an organization. The artwork itself is copyrighted and owned by an organization. Correct. That's what Banksy sells it through. Correct. Yeah. So there is something to sue. It just may not be an individual. It'd be interesting to see how it plays out. Well, it'll also be fun to play out is our next segment, The Good, the Bad, and the Marketing, where we're going to be talking about the Pop-Tarts Bowl, BK's new collab with Fila, and a whole lot more. So don't touch that dial. Hey, Rick and Rick Nation, don't forget to check out our website at rickandrick.com. It's double the Rick in just one click at rickandrick.com. And welcome back to Rick and Rick Rule the World, Rick Matheson and Rick Wooten. And it's time for the good, the bad, and the marketing, starting with the Pop-Tart Bowl. And Rick, this is straight from the WTF department. So while Kellogg's Tony the Tiger may have been a better fit as mascot for the College Bowl that pitted the Kansas State Wildcats against the North Carolina State Wolfpack, that honor went to Kellanova's popular Pop-Tarts brand. And it's edible, I think it was strawberry-flavored, toaster pastry mascot. I don't know if you've seen video of this, but it's a mascot. Scott that, according to the Wall Street Journal, closed out the game by holding up a sign that read, dreams really do come true, before being lowered down into a giant toaster in a move commentators likened to ritual sacrifice and resulted in a pastry version of the mascot that was then eaten <laughs> by the Wildcats players on live TV. Yeah, this is this, it was this crazy. Is pretty wild. I mean, I, I get what they're trying to do and I get all the connections and the tie-ins. I just think it's weird. It is so weird. <laughs> Watching all the people eat the mascot i was just a bit much <laughs> well i saw a picture of a wildcat licking the pastry's face at one point and i was like okay you know i'm not above doing that myself if there was a giant pop tart in front of me but it still was very eerie <laughs> that article i sent you it had Kelanova cmo julie bowerman and she told the journal that the sponsorship makes sense because college football is a quintessential snacking occasion whether you're in the stadium or at home i gotta say rick pop tarts is a personal favorite for me but i'm not yeah. sure most people reach for a pop tart when watching college football. Uh, I could be totally wrong. That may be the point of the promotion. I don't know. But 
whatever the case, Bowerman says that it was the single biggest earned media campaign that the brand has ever seen. And Adweek estimates that it was at least $12 million worth of publicity around it. Oh, wow. Yeah. And search responsiveness was, according to Bowerman, six times that of previous brand activations. And the timing was excellent too, because as some have pointed out, the Pop-Tarts mascot is officially the first viral meme of 2024. Oh, that's awesome. We have this full sponsorship, but also an upcoming Netflix documentary hosted by Jerry Seinfeld called Unfrosted, the Pop-Tart Story. (laughs) That's awesome. Okay, okay, okay. But here's a question for you. They say that you could eat the Pop-Tarts in the stand. Okay, got it. But that takes a special person because not everybody likes the Pop-Tarts untoasted. It depends on the Pop-Tart. Like if it was uh, a strawberry or whatever this one is, I probably wouldn't want it toasted. But the brown sugar and cinnamon, those ones I can eat cold. And it freaks people out every time they see me eating one. They're like, aren't you going to toast that? It's like, no, I'd like it just as it is. How about you? Are there any of the ones you can eat? Well, I was going to ask you first, you know, frosted or unfrosted. Do you like the frosting tops? Oh, frosted all the way. Me too. And then the other thing is I was going to ask you, toasted or not toasted. And so it sounds like you can go either way. But for me, it's literally either way. I like it both toasted and just straight out of the box. But behaviorally, I will say nine times out of 10, whatever the flavor, I'll have it right out of the box and and several of them. (laughs) I'm going to have you explain this to us. Food meets fila by way of Burger King. I can't tell which brand gets what out of this particular collaboration beyond what someone called a Whopper with toe jam. (laughs) What is this? This This is another kind of bizarre one. I mean, so there's a huge trend going on right now for people to do collabs with shoe companies. And Burger King being the trendy social media company that we know they are, I guess they decided they wanted to get into it as well. And Fila was apparently desperate enough to to buy into it. So now, because we've all asked for it, we can go get Filas that are designed like a Whopper. And so they've got, you know, like the swoosh on the side, they've got flames in it, and everything is kind of brown and white, kind of like the the hamburger and the wrapper and in the whole thing. I don't know. Again, I think it's kind of weird, but it's kind of interesting at the same time. I don't think I'd wear it. What about you? What do you think of it? For some reason, this one just was not gelling for me. I was trying to figure out, okay, who's getting what out of this? Is Vila getting something out of having a Burger King branded, what they have? A a cap, a bucket hat, socks, and a shoulder (laughs) bag with a personalized logo inspired by Burger King's flame-grilled meat. For some reason, I was thinking, let's get our food together first. You bring up an interesting point. You know, it feels like fast food restaurants are are becoming less relevant right now. Have you noticed this? They're really struggling. I think it's across the board. I mean, even Subway. I I, I used to go to Subway quite a bit and uh, it's down the street and it's easy. You know, you can get a small sub and it's like six, 650 calories. So it's, you know, it's it's a good lunch. But anyways, so there were two things that I really liked. Number one was they had sourdough bread and it went in one day and they no longer had sourdough bread. And, And I talked to the lady about it and she's like, yeah, you know, corporate's trying to cost reduce, even though not all the stores carried sourdough bread. We did and they've stopped making it now. So we can't, we can't uh, do sourdough, which is kind of a big deal. So then, you know, stuck with the white bread. And so, you know, I defaulted to my second favorite sandwich. You know, number one was, you know, kind of this uh, BMT on sourdough. And the second one was, you know, the pastrami. And they're like, oh, no, no, we got rid of the pastrami too. And they got rid of the Swiss (laughs) cheese or something. It was like everything I asked for, they didn't have. And it was like, wow. 
wow, like even Subway is kind of having to reform because there's just not enough demand anymore. So I'm, I'm wondering if we're in a time frame where people just aren't going to fast food as much as they used to. I've noticed the same thing at Subway. For me, it was I noticed that the vegetables weren't seeming as fresh, like visibly. And then I saw you talked about cost reductions. Well, there was a reason for that. They sold the company last August. So a new company owns it now. And so we'll see what they do with it. But I saw the same kind of thing happening over time, just this last year. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll get lucky and they listen to the show and, and they'll hear us. You know, I mean, they've lost me as a customer. I, I just can't get into the things that they're serving right now. And so, you know, my go-to sandwich is back to either Eric's Deli or Togo's. I have to drive a little further for them, but they have my sourdough bread and they have the toppings that I'm hoping for. All right. Lastly, for the good, the bad, and the marketing, how AI reduces the world to stereotypes, at least as it was captured in a piece from restofworld.org, which opens this article by pointing at a BuzzFeed article back in July, and it was during the big Barbie craze. And they did a story that featured 195 images of Barbie dolls produced using Midjourney that was supposed to represent how Barbie would look in other countries. And you see them all the time. You still see them like Ken in every state, Barbie in every state, or Barbie's dream house. But for this one where it was Barbie for different countries. There was Algeria Barbie, Brazil Barbie, and on and on. And things got offensive fast. So Philippines Barbie was blonde. Lebanon Barbie was shown amid rubble. And South Sudan Barbie was toting a gun. Yeah. Important to note, this is text to image AI. So this is where you enter you know, a prompt saying, create a photorealistic image of what Barbie would look like if Barbie was in this country or whatever. But it kind of laid bare the biases that can be built into AI. And the article does a really good job of illustrating this by showing what happened when the group at restofworld.org used mid-journey prompts for, quote, a person, a woman, a house, a street, and a plate of food, and then added a country. So generate an image of a house in Mexico, or a plate of Nigerian food, or an Indian person, and it would generate 100 different images for each, so 3,000 images total. So as you scroll down the article, it shows the output. And so a majority of the time, quote, a person was depicted as a man, roughly 60% of the time and roughly 60 years old, which was interesting. When depicted, women appeared to be between 18 and 40, and women's skin tones were almost always lighter than men's. So the first sort of rose that they did here, show me an Indian person who's almost always an old man with a beard and a turban. I mean, in row after row and after row of all these images. A Mexican person was usually a man in a sombrero, and in all 100 images generated where it was, show me an American person, they're shown with a flag, something that didn't have happen with any other nationality. I've noticed the same thing in posts. This was the kind of the key thing here was, was that no matter what the topic is, if AI is creating it, it almost aligns with Western quote unquote beauty norms or attractiveness that people associate with Western faces. And, and I thought it was interesting. You know, all this stuff's being trained right now here in the West. It will be increasingly outside of the West. But right now that's a big problem. And for marketers and storytellers and creators, be really careful if and when using general of AI if you're regionalizing a campaign or trying to be inclusive because what it generates may do more harm than good. Yeah, this this was pretty interesting. And w- what it actually is, is the data that they use to train the AI. 
It's not the AI itself that's biased. Yeah. It's, you know, it's literally something that just takes in the catalog of whatever data that's available to it. And so like in a way, like you were talking about, like every single picture that was an American person, woman, man had an American flag. That tells me that the data set was highly biased towards that as well, which is kind of interesting, right? Yes. You know, if you think about it, a lot of these things are probably going to have recency bias where more recent images are probably going to influence it more than the older ones. And so get to wonder where all these images like that came from and why it was so extreme and why every single Indian man looked alike or you know even the you mentioned the Mexican ones as well why did they all look alike it's super interesting AI is a product of the data set it's trained on and the people who train it and this is not necessarily an indictment on anything right now it, most of the major models are being trained on western images by western people and that will change over time but right now it's seeing the world being informed by a data set that is Western-based. And so it is something that we just have to be cognizant of if and when, like I said, for regionalizing something, because you have to review that because it, it may be offensive. Totally. It's not the AI, it's the training set yeah. is too limited and what results is a stereotype. Like there's no reason all of those images, the Indian man, all look the same. To me, that says not only is it a Western training set, it's that they had one image. Or a very limited set of images. But don't forget the the American one was the same thing where they all were standing in front of a flag and looking highly patriotic. So again, the same sort of thing, you know, must have come from a small data set of images. Yeah. All right. But also needs to be reviewed by a human being is our next segment because it is time for the loaded questions. Stay tuned. This episode of Rick and Rick Rule the World is brought to you by Taskin, the first name in ultra-stylish, premium-quality travel gear, like the exquisitely designed Taskin 1 expandable backpack. With nine practical variations, the Taskin 1 is always the right size for wherever life takes you next. Save 30% on your next purchase when you use the promo code RNRTAKE30. That's R&R-TAKE30 at TaskinSF.com. Welcome back to Rick and Rick and Roll of the World, Rick Matheson and Rick Wooten, and it is time to play Loaded Questions. I'm ready to go. All right. Question number one. 2024 marks the 30th anniversary of the invention of Bluetooth, the short-range technology standard for wirelessly connecting peripherals to computers and mobile devices. Bluetooth 1.0 specifications were released in 1999, and the Bluetooth logo first appeared on computers and mobile devices in 2000. As for its identity, Bluetooth gets its name from A, a foul-mouthed 17th century pirate, B, Bluetooth butterflies, which are known to pair for life, C, the icon of Swedish Telecom Ericsson's logo, which looks like a Bluetooth, or D, Harold and that mouth of his. Bluetooth is named after what? Uh, it's it's named after a pirate. The answer here is D. So Harold and that mouth of his, or at least that tooth. So according to Bluetooth.com, the name dates back to King Harold, quote unquote, Bluetooth Gormson, who is best known for two things, uniting Denmark and Norway in 958, and a dead tooth that was a gnarly shade of dark blue gray and earned him the nickname Bluetooth. Question number two, the 2024 Pantone color of the year is A, Viva Magenta, B, Bluetooth, C, Peach Fuzz, or D, Thermal Blue. The 2024 Pantone Color of the Year is what? I'm going to guess it's the Thermal Blue. 
Basically, should be, but no, the answer here is C, peach fuzz, which is described as bold. Just kidding. We always say that the Pantone colors of the year are always described as bold. Oh, totally. Every year. But uh, this year, it's not. They must have heard us. It's described as, quote, radiant with warmth and modern elegance and, quote, a shade that resonates with compassion, offers a tactile embrace, and effortlessly bridges the youthful with the timeless. Now, to your point, Rick, to be fair, thermal blue is C2's color of the year. It, quote, reminds us of the infinite array of blue hues nature offers to help restore and redefine our mood. Interesting. And I just looked up both of the colors. Interestingly, they're both pastels. So I guess the 80s is coming back. Final question. Which of the following is not considered a 2024 prediction by at least one researcher, research firm, or institute? A. Content produced by generative AI will degrade the purchase experience for 70% of B2B buyers. B. The rise of machine customers will prompt a rethink of key business businesses, C, the X where Twitter used to be will go the way of MySpace, or D, the world's first fully autonomous AI-powered restaurant will begin serving customers. Which of these is not a 2024 prediction by at least one researcher, research firm, or institute? Well, I, I don't know. Are you are you a researcher? Because if you're not, then it's it's C. It's, it's the X logo. <laughs> you know, that was a plant, but no. So that is from the Pointer Institute, and they just didn't describe it that way. And to be fair, I don't know if that was a specific researcher at Pointer Institute or the official point of view of the Pointer Institute, but this particular piece was talking about how they or he or she believes that Twitter by year's end will go the way of MySpace. Ah, interesting. Yeah. So the, the answer is D, the world's first fully autonomous AI-powered restaurant will begin serving customers, but that's because the world's first fully autonomous AI-powered restaurant has already opened in Pasadena. It's a burger joint called Cali Express, and according to Los Angeles Magazine, it's already a burger flipping bot phenomenon. So anyone who's gone to a burger joint in Southern California or any time over the last 20 years can be forgiven for thinking that their servers have been bots for years now. But this is the real deal. It opened in December and it requires reservations to feast on that cheeseburger and fries that's flipped by a robot. Interesting. So there's a there's basically a waiting list to be served by a robot. Yeah, served by a robot. It's here. A whole restaurant. There you have it. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up this episode of Rick and Rick Rule the World. Thank Thank you so much for listening to us. And Rick, before we head out, why don't you share where folks can find you online? They can always find me on X or Twitter or whatever it's called these days. I'm at Wooten, W-O-O-T-T-E-N. And how about yourself? I am likewise at whatever it is called these days, at Rick Matheson. We're going to have to set up threads or something else just in case that one prediction from Pointner Institute comes true. For now, you can find us there and, as always, at rickandrick.com. Till next time, stay safe, keep each other safe, and keep on coming back to the one show where everybody's name is Rick. And everybody rules the world. 